I just realised that all I was doing was making myself busy. And what I really wanted to do was make a profound impact on the world. This is Will Mercer. A scientist by education and strategist by training, Will just left his stable London life behind to move to an 1870 chateau in Burgundy, France. He is there to build La Salle, a space to relax, recharge and meet very interesting people. If you listen to the previous episodes of the podcast, that's with Jessica, Jessica de la Chenet, who is the co-founder of the space. Today you hear Will's story from starting a club night with a drug dealer, as you do, to following the corporate routes at Lloyds Bank, and then running strategy for co-working group The Trampery. He just quit his job this summer and left everything behind minutes after stepping into Burgundy property. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago where we were all there for the Chateau warming party, which was quite a thing. Here's today's show. I'm Victoria Stianova and this is The Work We Do, a podcast about people redefining the meaning and purpose of work. Mm-hmm. I no problem. Thanks for coming. I always start by asking people what their current state of mind is. So wow. I was wondering, what's your current state of mind, Will? Uh, um, I guess exhausted, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah mentally, physically um, exhausted because um, we put a lot of energy. Um, and also I'm in a state of flux um, and I am um, a scientist by education and a strategist, mm-hmm. I guess, first and foremost, which means I'm always looking at the future. And at the moment we've just finished a very big programme through the summer. Um, in this year I've left my job, I've emigrated. Um, I've got no plans for the future other than this, no source of income. I'm about to go to Thailand on Friday on Thursday to perform. Hi. Yeah, I'm performing at a, a festival out there. So my state of mind is very much, uh, I don't know what's happening next. And I'm someone who always has a plan. Mm-hmm. And part of the learning experience that I've had to deal with here is learning to accept the present, be more present. Um, and it's against my, my, my natural character to accept the present. Yep. So I'm in this state now where I'm like, okay, you need to use what little energy you have left to accept the fact that you don't know what's going to happen uh, even on Friday. I don't know where I'll be in the world on Friday. I love that. Um, so this is how this podcast started. It mm. was me feeling that I'm always in transition. And I was like, mm. this is really draining because mm. I feel like I'm doing something not the right way. And I was like, but it's not just me. All my friends are also kind of inventing things as they go and making mm. it up. And somehow it works. And somehow uh, we all end up creating a very special thing that is ours and no mm. one else's. And that's the beauty of it. Mm. So I was like, oh, I think we need to reframe this whole transition thing into it's not a bad thing. It's actually the nature of our lives now. And mm. actually it's just... Um, if, if transition becomes the um, most common state, mm. then can we just embrace it and take it as part of the whole process instead of trying to fight it? Mm. So, so it makes me happy. Embrace the transition, yes. 
So tell me a little bit more about how you um, packed your life and moved to France um, in the middle do you, of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, what do you want? Do you, do you want the, I can give you how I got like from 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 the journey my life has taken. A brief synopsis would that help, or do you rec- or do you want just the immediate this year? Tell me about a, I mean, I cannot not have the synopsis of your life, please. Okay, okay, okay cool. <laughs> life so, story. Yeah, okay, um, as brief as possible, I guess. Um, I so I studied physics at university to a master's level, mm-hmm. and when I was doing it, I was really into creative, the creative industries. I uh, put on club nights, um, we put on parties a lot, and um, I, I, I personally like. I think a big thing that I, I feel passionate about is um, I was never taught to lead. I never, no one ever said you could do anything. No one ever gave me any kind of positive affirmation. Mm-hmm. And I remember I uh, met a drug dealer once, and we were joking. We we're like, let's put on a club night together. And that turned into a club night, and then we we had this club night that was um, we had graffiti uh, writers, fire dancers. Uh, we had these tech guys who who made the visuals. You could download a, an app and play computer yeah. games over the crowd whilst the DJs were playing, and it was amazing. And I was like, wow, this. I guess it's the first time it taught me about um, having a diversity of community, mm-hmm. um, and also how much I love really good music. And I saw what I'd seen on TV, what I really wanted to be a part of, which was hip hop culture happening before my eyes and this is something that um, I made happen yeah. and I was like wow I can do this and so we turned that into a social en- <laughs> yeah I was like yeah yes. um, and so we turned it into a social enterprise and the whole idea was the club nights everyone would play for free but the money that we raised would pay for the artists to give workshops to refugee children okay. and so the whole idea was how can we create employment for artists but also culturally integrate people from different nations in Reading. That's- when was that? Um, this was in 2007 through to 2008. So before your time. Um, no, <laughs> You're so um, progressive. It's um, great. Oh, thanks. It's very <laughs> it, it didn't feel like that. We, we didn't have a clue. And this was the thing. Um, um, the problem with starting a business with a drug dealer is uh, they're not, they don't have the most stable career choices. So he'd frequently get arrested. He was a graffiti writer. So he'd frequently get arrested for graffiti as well. And, um, and so he became the least stable person to start a business with. So that was the first thing about him. The second thing is that we were useless. Like I'd spent most of my degree writing in numbers. And so we didn't know anything about business. We didn't how, know how to make businesses successful. So we were filling out funding applications with spelling mistakes. We were like, we were like the squatty kids that play loud music at the bus stop, that, that, that was us. Um, and so whilst that was going on, I was working in a bar and the bar was a West African, um, sorry, West Indian, um, sort of reggae Barbados bar, okay. um, which was cool, but it'd gone bankrupt twice and it went bankrupt again, but it got bought by some new guys and they wanted someone to run it. And so I said, okay, cool, I'll come along. And these guys just turned around and went, Will, we don't care what you do, as long as you don't legally incriminate us in any wrongdoing and you make us money. And um, so I had this grotty room in this grotty part of town, but like these, like the coolest fuck, uh, sort of the cool Rasta crew that were that, that <laughs> hanging around. And um, using all my friends and contacts from the club nights, I took over this bar and turned it from um, loss making to profitability with no starting capital. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was really, really fun. Wow. But running a bar uh, when you're 22 years old and you put on club nights for a living, uh, it's not very good for your health. Um, <laughs> and also it wasn't really good for aspirations because there's only so far you can go with a bar. And I didn't really feel like I was making an impact. Mm-hmm. I was providing employment for artists, but I wasn't really changing anything. I mean, it was a really special place, but it was about hedonism, not change. Um, and so I also at the same time found out that the guys who owned it were Pakistani gangsters and they were moving vast amounts of heroin into Reading. Right. Um, and the paycheck, yeah, <laughs> and the paychecks um, were 
um, all in paper, and it was really corrupt as well. You know, they were um, the local politicians. Like, one of them hit a Tory M- MP. Mm-hmm. The next day, all of the magistrates that were going to be hearing his case the next day were having drinks in my bar, oh my and I didn't find this out. And I just, I just, I was like, I can't be a part of this. <laughs> so I left and went to to London, and I think that was like a, a big thing because in Reading I was like this big fish in a small pond. And, and obviously in London, you're nobody. Yeah, you know, like, in London, you're yeah. mostly ever nobody. Yeah, yeah, you know, so like you could be Barack Obama, and everyone be like, you're all right, aren't you, mate? Yeah, well, what do you do for a living, you know? So, um, so yeah, so I left and went to London, and I started working with an organisation called The Young Foundation. Um, I interned with them. I was also doing loads of other, like, bottom of the line. There was one point where I was so skin, I'd go to Art Private Views to get the free alcohol, um, and we used to um, just blag it in everywhere. Like I've talked my way into pretty much every club in London. And there was one point where they, my only source of money was uh, there was an Iranian, English language Iranian news channel called Press TV, and they used to pay people like 20 quid to ask audio questions oh. for the audience. <laughs> like that's how broke I was. It was, like, it was unreal. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was horrible being down and out in London. Um, and, but I was in turn with this foundation, and the foundation was started up by a, a guy called. Lord Michael Young, who oh, was yeah. you know, known as the father of social innovation, um, and he started the, started the Institute of Community Studies, which got called the Young Foundation after his death. And he was a proponent of using business as a way of solving social problems. Mm-hmm. So he founded the Open University and loads of other ventures. And so that was the first time I came into contact with social enterprise um, and um, the idea about using business for positive change and realised what I'd been doing. Um, so I, I did a couple more things there, but. Um, uh, through it all, just in a blasé move, I applied to Lloyds Bank for their graduate scheme. Mm-hmm. And I think they mistook my blasé attitude as confidence. And I just passed all the tests. Um, I'm very fortunate to be very good with numbers. So um, they were just like, yeah, cool, come in. Um, and I think at the time, this is, you know, 2008, which sounds like it was 10 years ago, but it was like a uh, 35 grand starting salary. And I got £3,000 for signing the contract. Oh, my God. So I was like, like okay, uh, cool. Yes, okay, yeah, I'll do that, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I took the money and then took the train to Mongolia and lived with some nomads for a bit, which was cool, which is a story for another time. But um, when I started working at Lloyd's, it was amazing. It was, it was everything I needed to know about starting a business. Mm, um, how to take the numbers and apply them to the way that profit and loss accounts work and how finance works. I'm fascinated by economics and how the economy works. Um, and so I did that for, for five years. In the last f- sort of three and a half of those years, I was turning around underperforming businesses. So I was working with businesses that had no cash um, who were failing. And it was how could you get them to make money? How could you turn them around? And everything from like £1.5 billion worth of funding into a care home group, all the way down to like a petrol station in Wales. Like I would work wow. across the spectrum. Um, and I was really good because my boss was completely, um, he was. A, what, like a caricature of a banker, basically. He he would never do any work and he would cancel meetings because he'd go and play golf. And what that meant is that um, I did all the work and he was always good to give me credit. So often I would be in these meetings with, you know, everyone in the room and they'd think I was the guy coming to make the tea. But because I represented 50 million pounds worth of money their company owed me, they, oh. they, so it was really good to negotiate for a position. So that was really good fun. Um, but, How old were you, were you at that point? Uh, so I think this was up until about 20, 28, I think. Okay. Yeah, so hang on, I was 20, 23 when I started. And then, yeah, and I was there for five years, so I was up to about 28. Oh, okay. And um, But then after the recession sort of stopped being as impactful, uh, I stopped being so... Uh, the businesses that were failing stopped being so frequent. And I also sort of looked at myself and I realised that as much as I 
don't have a problem with Lloyds Bank or I didn't morally disagree with anything I agreed uh, that I worked with. The culture of finance isn't socially impactful. Um, and as much as people would try and convince themselves, like I'd always do finance as a means to an end. I needed to learn how to run a business and it'd run its course. So um, I also noticed um, a lot of corporate bankers can be quite uh, cutthroat. The corporate world is is um, an abhorrent place. Um, yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I take genuine pleasure knowing that most of the companies that um, are now big will hopefully die in, in the coming future because I don't really feel like they add value. Um, and, God, that sounds really judgmental. But, um, no, but it's a, just a very different ethos. And I think we've seen, um, you know, the dark side of what's supposed to be um, how we measure success and mm. what where we want to be as, you know, um, as a society mm. and want to see that fail. Mm. And you wake up from it thinking, wait, I'm sure there are other ways. Mm. I think that's why it's just very hard to give these types of organizations any credit because you're like well you're kind of evil yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how it's many so, art exhibitions you sponsor it doesn't make you it's less, not going to change you know? your, your core <laughs> yeah. yeah no I don't want to sound cheesy with the rhetoric and I, I suppose that's not fair it's probably because I'm tired I'm being a bit cut, cutting but um yeah um the so the thing is I, I wanted to leave um and they were going through some rounds and I was desperately trying to get made redundant but the problem is that um when you try and be getting made redundant, you can't be really bad at your job because um, because then it's negligence and I'll sack you. But you can't be really good at it because then you're like, hey, you'll keep it. And so I, they completely just they wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't make me redundant. So um, I managed to convince them to pay for me to go on secondment with an impact investor called Bridges okay. Ventures. Okay. So there was a, a VC guy called Ronald Cohen. He founded Apex, which was the big, the first big private equity house in 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 um, Europe and he started um, a social impact fund called Bridges Ventures and they were investing in things called social impact bonds, they're the number one investor and the whole idea is how can you move capital to social good. So I did that for a while and then Lloyd's offered me um, a sick job I think like if I added up the total value of it it was like something like £90,000 salary um, Deloitte offered me a job and loads of people offered me a job but at the same time I was offered a place to go volunteer with Rally International in Costa Rica and Nicaragua and I had this sort of another epiphany where I had like a load of money in the feet on, on one hand um, and on the other hand was an experience and I think I made a choice that most millennials would make now which is experiences over yeah. um, and so I went out to Costa Rica and had an amazing time um, another story again but um, and then I came back to the UK and whilst I was in banking and finance one thing I didn't say is I started working music festivals and for the last 12 years my hobby has been running music festivals across the UK and Europe. So when I came back, I just spent ages worrying about what I was going to do with my life. And mm -hmm. in doing that, um, I just gallivanted around putting on parties, like skiing Idris Elba down the side <laughs> of a mountain so we can do a DJ set in Igloo, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and off the back of that, at the end of it, I then got offered a job backed by Bridges Ventures to work on one of their projects, which ended up, um, I was running an adoption charity mm -hmm. for a while. So I did that, got really pissed off with charities. I found charities, their structure's really um, prohibitive. Um, and a lot of the charities I was dealing with um, were more concerned with talking about how they've made a difference rather than actually making a difference. And it was during that time that I met Charles, who obviously is a mutual friend um, at a house party. And I got to know the uh, Trampery and I saw the Trampery had lots going for it. Um, so just to be clear, I mean, you're familiar with the Trampery, right? But the Trampery is a workspace provider in London, right? Um, and we, it, it started off by opening five 
um, sector-focused workspaces, and it was clear that it didn't really have any strategic direction and yeah. it didn't really have a centralised model. It just seemed to, it was at that bit where it would grown as a series of, you know, one, then another, then another, but no one had ever thought about the big, grander plan. And Charles... It was at a time where there wasn't much of that in London. It was yeah. very, very new. Yes, yeah. So people were just like, oh, wow, it's a space where you can work from and, yeah. like, you know, you're creative. Cool like, it was just so early days. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess with that... When I took, or when I came into our, my official title was head of strategy, but there wasn't really any macro management of the company. Um, Charles, is, uh, Charles Armstrong, the CEO and founder, is one of the best um, tacticians and negotiators and most intelligent people I know. Um, but he's, you know, very o- open about the fact that he's not really a, a people manager and he's not uh, a manager. So I sort of took on this role where I was managing the team um, and I was trying to redesign the operational structure so it could scale. And this is again because it was a social enterprise, no starting capital. We couldn't take on external capital. And it was at a time where um, just to be a workspace had a queue out the door when I started, but it was as all of the competitors were opening up. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, it's saturated market. And so that was really, really good fun. Um, but um, off the back of that, um, yeah, so at the Trampery, um, did that for a year, for, 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 for two years, and it was, it was amazing. Um, all sorts of stuff from designing an urban innovation district in Oslo through to um, opening up some crazy stuff, raising £2.3 million worth of investment for, um, uh, for, for, for a real estate development. Lots of stuff there. But anyway, off the back of that, I realised it was London was the issue and all I was doing was being busy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I realised that I actually wanted to make more purpose for the world. And during that time, I was giving a talk at an event and that's where I met Jess. Um, and then I came out here and here at LaSalle, I had a clarity of mind that I'd never had before. And I realised that all this time I was being prescriptive, trying to solve problems. Yeah. And actually deep down, what I really needed to work on was myself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really cheesy, um, but I'm really good at solving problems. But there's, um, I guess I just felt the need to, uh, I was like, if I can't fix myself, then what am then I doing? What? I totally, totally feel you on that mm. one. I think that it's so easy to just, get into the momentum of your life where Mm. you're providing value for other people and it's working you're going from meeting to meeting to an event to somewhere where um you're with loads of people and you're just so excited by everything Mm. but so busy that you can't create your own spaciousness to even Mm. even um reflect on what has happened Mm, mm. you know how you you have an amazing conversation but you Mm. can't even process it because you're already on to the next one Mm. and you're like well then what's the point like if things this is this is the thing about like you got it like so the nail on the head was i just realized that all i was doing was making myself busy yeah and what i really wanted to do was make a profound impact on the world and apply um the very fortunate upbringing that i've had um, you know, I stay educated, but, you know, growing up in the UK, I'm a white male um, in the UK, like in terms of opportunity on my doorstep, yeah. it's like number one and not everyone has that choice. Right. And so if I don't use what I've got, I'm also very good with numbers. So if I don't use that for something purposeful, mm-hmm. then that, I, I see that as um, an offence to people who are less fortunate. And so I always realised that in London, I was trying to do social impact um, by creating communities of entrepreneurs. But I realised that it wasn't actually you know, all I was actually doing was keeping 15 people employed. And, yeah. you know, if, and there was this brilliant moment with the Trampery where we were selling desk spaces and WeWork opened up and Second Home opened up. And 
Um, you know, they, you know they, we work and I've got 1.5 million square foot in London. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. We're a social enterprise. So if our social objective is to provide entrepreneurs with a place they can work that's affordable, well, the market's now doing that. So our, you know, we're not actually making a social yeah. impact in that way. And so actually asking that question, like, am I actually making a difference, was a big thing. Um, and it seemed like I was trying to solve a problem that wasn't clearly defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came out here, um, I, I just had this clarity of purpose and also Jess, I, um, her strength of personality, the fact that she's not completely, you know, not egotistical, it, it made me feel uh, like she was someone I could work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm really fortunate. So I came back um, having visited here in, in, in January, um, I quit my job worked my notice and on the 1st of, well, 29th of April, I moved out here. Okay. Yeah. That's, oh, it's how things should work. Yeah. Um, so I just spoke with Jess as well and, you know, I think that realisation that you need self-care first in order to be able to impact uh, the world in the way that you can mm. is something really important, but I feel like it takes a while for us to realise that it starts from yourself, it starts mm. from your core, and mm. you can be out there fixing all the problems that you want, but until you um, you understand like what moves you, what do you need to function, mm. how do you get nurtured, mm. like, these questions are so important, mm. because uh, you just make yourself more sustainable, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like your energy um, is more focused, and I, I love that, that's the story of how this place is starting, but mm. also what it stands for. Mm. So I, I find think. this very important. I guess, yeah, just on that specific point, I think it's really, there's a brilliant story in this, uh, the Stephen Covey book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he talks about how he was on a train one day and these kids were running around everywhere and their, their, their father wasn't doing anything. And he got really annoyed and he turned around and said, can you keep the kids under control? And the guy turns around and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I was in another place. We just came from the hospital and they just lost their mother. And I guess I don't know how I'm dealing with it. And I don't think they know how to deal with it. And he was like, oh, I feel really bad. And he said, seek to um, diagnose before you prescribe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a common failure in business that um, people always, the entrepreneurial journey is, 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 you know, always a prescribed product. You know, people Mm -hmm. sometimes create a product for a problem that doesn't exist. And um, I believe that the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that experience the problem firsthand and are the problem they are trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand my own journey here and the journey I'm going through with Jess has been really important. I think that's the first thing. But the second thing is that if you want the problem to be, if you want the solution to be bigger than yourself, and that's where the community angle comes in. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things here is what space means to me might be different to someone else. And so whilst I'm on a journey here and I am definitely a consumer of of the LaSalle experience, one of the biggest things we wanted to do is to bring others in um, and um, get other people here to tell us what they were yeah. thinking about it. And there's a really good story actually about the Buddha with the elephant. I don't know if I, t- if I told you this. No, tell so me. It's brilliant. So um, Buddha told a story about five blind people um, asked to describe an elephant. And obviously one went for the legs and was like, oh, wow, it's like a tree trunk. Another one touched the ears and was like, wow, my God, it's like a bird. Another one touched the trunk. Oh, it's like a snake. The other person touched the tusk. It was like, oh, it's hard like rock. The other one touched its skin. It's like, oh, it's coarse like the earth. And the whole idea is that what we've got here is a beautiful idea that resonates with people, but everyone's got a different um, perspective on what that idea is. And in order to do that, what we realise that we need to do is enable them to realise what they see this inner space. So for me, it's about a space where I can solve 
problems for myself, but I can also fix other people's problems, mm -hmm. which means bringing people here to work on things so I can speak with them. For other people, it's like, hey, I really want to save the planet by fostering a permaculture um, project. Great, here's a physical land. Oh, hey, you want to bring people together. Great, well, here's an event space. And so this summer has been very much about inviting people out here and just listening. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a very big um, proof of humility and community. And I think that's the only way you, you can build community anyway. But um, we're just chatting about this with Jess, how there are so many people um, here this weekend who would say, oh yeah, actually I had to be somewhere else and I had to do this and I had to mm. do that. But then ultimately I'm here because mm. I know this is important. And that's quite beautiful where you're surrounded with people who want to sense what's on the edge, what's coming up, what's mm, the future, where mm, are we going, how are we building this thing mm, together? Mm, mm, and when these people realize that, aha, there is something that's going to be like a milestone in yeah. how we operate, yeah. let's make this a priority and go and, and, and hear what's going yeah, on and yeah. how we can help. I think that's so important. I was mm. really moved by, by your talk. I was like, oh, this oh, it feels like, you know, moment, moment of history. Yeah. I was like, this is so great. When everyone stood up in the library and clapped, that was like top 10 yeah. moment in my life because I just, I couldn't, I cannot, there's just not, I, to be in an environment with so many people who are brilliant people, but also so giving and generous to each mm -hmm. other. Like, they're just, everyone here, that whole give, give more than you get, the principles is, is for me the most important thing. We work very carefully with Simon and David on them. And the principles, um, you know, that, that we, we, we work with the grain that, that yeah. we start, you know, that, that the whole idea is we'll go for the solution that works best with the land, that works best in, in ease of activation. Mm -hmm. The starting was simple. The whole idea is that, you know, it's, this isn't about something massive. It's about just start with it and see how it goes and see how yeah. it plays. And that's what we did, simply just inviting people out here and let's just see how it evolves. So great. Um, bringing others in is, right, is, is, is the other thing, which is um, that whatever we've done, we've, I always say, defer to expertise. Mm -hmm. And we've just got so many brilliant, talented people that want to make this a success. So if you've got people in your community, you know them. So just ask and you can get that expertise in. Um, and then the final one being that uh, it's, it's, it's give more than you get, which, is, which comes from the idea about being net positive. And this is something with my mind that I've always believed in, which is that throughout my life, um, I've always tried to have a net positive impact on the planet. Like as long as um, my, my, my social account, my environmental account with the planet is, is positive, mm -hmm. then I'll be okay, you know, I'm oh, contributing yeah. more. And, 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 and I felt all those four values I could give you for each 20 examples of things that have happened this weekend that, that people have done. I love it. So. It's just such a good validation. It's mm. when it just works. Mm. Oh, yeah. okay. What is something that you're, what, what are you the most excited about? Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I really want to see, I really want to, uh, so two things actually, residency programs. So we're going to mm -hmm. be raising some cash from brands and grant foundations to do residency programs so we can provide opportunity for leaders in their field. So I'm really excited to use this space to get fully funded opportunities for people just to come out here and work on something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's a wellbeing project, building a fitness practice, or building a nutrition practice, or writing a book, or doing a painting, or making, a, making an album, or, uh, or, or coming up with a new, new initiative, just having a, a diverse community of residents here. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and then also, 
a lot of the, at the moment, Jess and I and Tamara, as you've seen us work tirelessly, and, and Luke to some extent when he's here, we're just working all the time um, because we love it here. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to getting someone who knows what they're doing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the thing like we're all from different backgrounds Jess is a stylist I'm a strategist you know Tamara is a program manager but neither none of us have done a hospitality before yeah um, and there are people out there who just know what they're doing so I'm really looking forward to someone who knows what they're doing so we can go great you do that you just tell me what you need and then we can carry on going out there and looking for more people and I can spend more time with the people we want to attract mm. um, yeah I think those two things okay there's some people we should speak to. Oh. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, please, please. Um, what are three words that are present in your headspace right now? Wow, um, positive social change. Boom! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, yeah. Pro. Uh, no, no, I just, um, all the time I'm always like, you know, like, how can you make a positive impact on the channel, planet? Like, that's, if you've got a positive social change yeah. like, in your mind as your objective, um, everything falls into it. You know, you want an element of focus, but you want it to be blurry enough. And like, um, when I think positive social change, like I see the community, the people who are here, and I was thinking, you know, if we need to go, right, okay, we need to put the moon on a stick, their expertise to put the moon on a stick was there. Yeah. You know, they were engineers, let's get some straws, okay, let's get the sticks, how many sticks do we need? It's like you had some astrophysicists, right? You know, Gavin Starts is there, he knows, he knows about astrophysics. So straight away, it's like, okay, great, well, you know, this is the distance to the moon, this is how we're gonna do it. You've got other people, okay, we've got to get fundraising, okay, we're investors, okay, brilliant. And you know, the, the knowledge in that room and the love to do anything, mm. right, was, was, was there. So if you're like, right, let's put the moon on a stick, we can. So if you want to enact positive social change, those people in that room, when they stood up and clapped, if you said, right, okay, let's, let's cure climate change, the expertise, the knowledge and the energy was in the room to do it. Yeah. And so getting that positive social change through the community and that, that we hope to continue here um, is what's really exciting. This was Will Mercer from Lesel. In the next episode, you will be hearing from Duncan and Seb, the co-founders of Satori a new paper magazine that aims to be a quiet space for introspection and contemplation in our busy city lives. Until then.